0: Growth Igniter's Radio, Episode 49, The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of growth. On the web at businessadvance.com. And now... Here's Pam and Scott. Thanks, Chris.
1: I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And right across from me is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hey, Scott. Hi, Pam. And as always, it is such a pleasure to be
2: joining you again for another episode of Growth Igniter's radio. And if this is your first time listening, our purpose is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas for leaders to take themselves and their companies to their next level of success. So, Pam, what's our topic today?
1: Making successful deals under any circumstances. All right. Those of you out there who know us know that we're big believers in collaboration and win-win scenarios as the basis for accelerating growth and success. However, realistically, there are also times when self-advocacy requires that we enter into metaphorical combat.
2: Okay, yeah.
1: yeah. That's right. And this means we have to be ready to pivot and apply the appropriate guiding principles to successfully navigate rapidly changing circumstances. I've
2: been there, done that, yeah.
1: Yep. And that's why we're pleased to have as our guest today, Jeff B. Cohn, Esquire, author of the highly regarded 2015 book, The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, The Essential Tools for Business Forged in the Trenches of Hollywood. A little bit about Jeff. He's a prominent transactional attorney and former child actor, best known for playing the role of Chunk in the Richard Donner, Steven Spielberg cult classic film, The Goonies. Remember The Goonies? I do
2: indeed. Yes. Great, great film.
1: Yes. He is co-founder of Beverly Hills-based Cone Gardner LLP and has been named by Variety to both its Dealmakers Impact List and Legal Impact List. Jeff is a distinguished lecturer and active Writer. He's authored numerous articles discussing business, technology, and entertainment matters for CNBC, The Huffington Post, Backstage, Lawyerist, and others. He's also proud to serve on corporate boards in both the nonprofit and for profit arenas. And you can read a lot more about Jeff by going to the episode 49 page at Growth Jeff, welcome to Growth Igniters Radio.
3: Thank you, Pam. Scott, thank you for having me. That was such a great intro. I just want to hang up. I mean, at like leave the table of winner. You know what I mean? It,
2: it, it goes up from here, Jeff. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I want to kind of take my excited. money and leave the blackjack table and just yeah. be, feel good. Hit the buffet, yeah. you know? All yes, right. Yes.
1: Well, I'm excited to have Chunk as our guest. Yeah. It's
3: not easy. It's not easy. You know, I used to be Chunk, but now I'm a hunk. It's uh, It's uh... all... It's all muscle. Yeah,
2: yeah we, well, we've seen your your videos and pictures, and you're a good-looking guy now.
3: Well, thank you. Well, thank Although you, know?
2: you, you have about as much hair as I do, but it's,
3: it's, <laughs> yeah, all, some- it's all
2: face. It's all face.
3: <laughs> I think something about what- being a former... <laughs> Child actor and lawyer (laughs) makes that hair just fall right out of your head. That hair's gone, gone with the wind, man.
1: And business consulting too. We will say that's true. Yeah. Yes.
3: Clean living. Clean living. Except not me. Not you. Not your hair's hair's good.
1: (laughs) Mine is good. Well, anyway, we're so glad to have you. Tell us a little bit about how you got from Chunk to being a top deal maker in Hollywood. That is a big transition.
3: I think it's lack of any other viable alternatives. The, you know, you know, I, I was a kid actor, uh, and you know, grew up in the entertainment industry in L.A. and uh, had some success, and and it was really what I wanted to do. But then, you know, I fought a child actor's greatest nemesis, which is puberty, and I lost. You know, I looked different, and I went from you know being this cute little chunky kid to looking different on having acne and, you know, your voice changes and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get work, you know? And anyone who says they give up acting I- intentionally is is lying. I wanna be clear about that, uh, Pam and Scott. Okay. Um, acting is the best job in the world. Everyone is nice to you, they feed you, get to play make-believe, uh, you get to travel, it's great. Sounds fun. So when I was a, a teenager, I had to kind of figure out, Jeff, you know, it can't be over. You have to still be good at something. And, you know, for me, it was kind of the search of, you know, OK, I really love entertainment. Uh, I think kind of art and entertainment is what civilizations gift to the uh, to, to future generations and how could I make an impact. And mm-hmm. uh, fortunately for me, I ran into this book called The Prince by Machiavelli, And, you know, it was written in the early 1500s, the early Italian Renaissance, and it was, you know, for my money, the greatest self-help book of all time. It was, uh, you know, about 100 pages, and it was basically this political philosopher, Niccolo Machiavelli, his advice to a prince, if you want to be a prince, if you want to gain power... If you want to win wars, if you want to build your empire, this is how you do it. So kind of, I think, combining my love of entertainment, lack of viable alternatives, uh, and The Prince is, is how I kind of became a deal maker.
2: So early political science and uh, office politics uh, with a little assassination thrown in. Uh, yes. And we see that also you got involved in a whole bunch of other philosophers. So how did you decide to put all of this together? And you went to law school. Why, why the book now?
3: I think I love philosophy, and and I'll say philosophy. You know, broadly, you know, whether it's Machiavelli or you know the the strategies of Napoleon or Genghis Khan or you know the insights of Oprah Winfrey or Steve Jobs or Aristotle. I love the idea that even though technology changes, human nature is basically the same. So for me, uh, the book, The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, was kind of my way of taking all these you know, unique philosophers from, <laughs> you know, Jay-Z mm-hmm. to Plato to, to Mary Shelley to H.L. Mencken and kind of putting them together uh, to create, a, a, you know, a toolkit for business people to discover what their uh, objectives are, what they really want, and then find the mechanism to get them. Uh, the reason I wrote it, I'm an entertainment lawyer in Los Angeles. I, I, I have a law firm, that I started in Beverly Hills back in 2002, when the world was young and, uh-huh. and Scott, I did have some more hair back then. Uh, I think yeah, I, was I did too, and and, <laughs> uh, and and better looking. Uh, right there with you, pal. Uh, so, so, so basically, you know, I've been uh, you know growing my law firm. Um, in the transactional space, so we basically represent companies and individuals, media companies, actors, directors, etc., and, and negotiate their deals. So I'm a transactional lawyer. I'm a deal maker. And uh, the American Bar Association uh, came to me uh, last year and asked me to kind of pitch them on an entertainment book. So what I did is I kind of went a little bigger because I'm a big fan of business books, generally. And I was like, well, hey, let me let me go bigger. Let me kind of put forth the commandments that I've learned to negotiate great deals, manage your time, and basically get what you want. I mean, for me, the big idea is that, you know, success is life on your own terms. And the point of the Dealmaker's 10 Commandments was, help the reader through introspection, through asking yourself tough questions, discover what those terms for success for you are, and then with the 10 Commandments, give the reader the tools to get them. So that's kind of the big picture.
1: It is, it's a fascinating read. When you you. talk about all of these philosophers that uh, you packed in there, I lost count. You know, I started, oh, look, there's a philosopher, (laughs) there's another one. And you have all these quotes, and you pull it together in a compelling way, really. The most interesting part, in a way, though, was that you start the book off with a warning chapter. A little shocking, so... Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about why the warning?
3: Sure, sure. Um, I start the book off with a warning chapter, uh, and and I start with a quote Um, Good and great are seldom the same man. And, you know, I think that's a really important idea. Good and great are seldom the same man. And what I say in that warning chapter is look, you know, this is not a book about being good. I'm in no position to judge uh, or Mm -hmm. to advise, uh, you know, to help you become good. Uh, It's a book about being great. And I wanted to kind of put forth that warning because, you know, the tactics that I advocate are are hard-nosed. Um, mm-hmm. and they kind of comport with my experience of, you know, being in the corporate world generally and entertainment specifically. And I wanted the reader to know, look, w- what I'm advocating is brutal, um, just like Machiavelli did in The Prince, but I also think necessary. But the warning is, is look, these tactics are for business. They are not for personal. <laughs> you know, <laughs> these tactics not gonna are- Not going to make friends
1: and influence people this way, huh?
3: Yeah, precisely. Like these tactics are, you know, to achieve greatness in business, uh, but can also help you achieve a terrific professional life and a horrific personal life. Um, So I really wanted to kind of make that, you know, make that distinction to the reader.
1: So use this with with care and uh,
3: situational,
1: situational. And that goes back to the way that we were leading. I was leading into this, which is there's a place for this. You know, we, we can't be pretending that uh we can always get a collaborative outcome and as i said in my in my own book preventing strategic gridlock i talk a lot about collaboration but at times you're in war
2: it's not puppies and kittens exactly
1: and so uh there is definitely a place
3: well sure and i mean for for me and i kind of put forth this idea in in the warning in the in the, the kind of warning section which is you know listen you may not be comfortable using these tactics, but even if you aren't, you should know that they exist merely exactly. from a position of self-defense because even if yep. you're not comfortable using this, many of your opponents will be completely comfortable using it. So merely from a position of self-defense, you should know kind of More what about it. what's going to be thrown at you.
1: Exactly. And we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll speak more with Jeff B. Cohn, Esquire, about a few of the DealMaker's Ten Commandments. Stay with us.
2: You are listening to Growth Igniter's radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, on the web at businessadvance.com. We enable successful companies to accelerate to their next level of innovation and growth, And if you like what you're hearing, spread the good word. Go to growthignitersradio.com, select episode 49, and use the share links for Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at the top right of the page to tell your social media communities all about us. And while you're there, sign up for our weekly alert of upcoming episodes so you'll always be up to date.
1: Welcome back to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. Today, Scott and I are speaking with dealmaker Jeff B. Cohn, Esquire, author of the book The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, about making successful deals under any circumstances. Jeff, how can people find out about your firm and about your book, The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments?
3: Great, thank you, Pam. As as far as the book, I would just go to Amazon uh, and just... Type in Dealmaker's Commandments, and uh, that book should pop up. We have it as a Kindle. We have it as a hard unit. And also, if you love my voice, I will actually read you the book on an Audible. Um, Also, we have a website, dealmakerscommandments.com. I'm also on Twitter at Jeff underscore B underscore Cohen, and also on Facebook and LinkedIn as Jeff B as in boy Cohen.
1: Okay, and we also have a PowerPoint of the Dealmaker's Ten Commandments that you can access by going to the episode 49 page for growthignitersradio.com. So you're really well connected on the social media here,
3: Jeff. Is I it love important,
1: it. <laughs> is it important to have that B in there? I have to ask. Jeff B. Cone?
3: Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, actually. The reason why uh, by I... It's funny, when I was a kid... Uh, and I was going to join the Screen Actors Guild when I first started working. When I was around seven, um, right. there was already another guy named Jeff Cohen in the union, uh. so uh, so I had to I had to use the B. Uh, okay. uh, so so it kind of stuck. You know, like I Michael think
2: J. Elegant. Fox, yeah. Right, yeah, there, there
3: you go. go. There you <laughs> go. Or Pamela S. Esquire. I like that. Yeah. It sounds like an aristocrat, you know? I kind it of dig does. that. Well, yeah. uh,
1: okay. And so, speaking as the aristocrat, your first commandment <laughs> here is it's better to be feared than loved. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to that commandment?
3: Yeah, why? Sure. Dealmaker's commandment one, uh, it is better to be feared than loved. I absolutely stole uh, from Machiavelli, from Nicola Machiavelli. The basic premise is as follows. As a leader, uh, as an entrepreneur, as a business person, uh, is it better to be feared or is it better to be loved? And we are taught to be loved—that's that's the the mechanism for success, you know. You're loved by your teachers, you get a good grade. You're loved by your boss, you get a promotion. Um, but the problem is, to be loved, you usually have to act in the best interest of the institution, and the institution is also acting in its own best interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, after you've worked at the company for twenty years or thirty years, and they downsize, and you're out, uh, because that's in their best interests, you're out of luck. So the big idea is if you have to choose between being loved or feared, it is better to be feared because people love you because they want to, and they fear Mm -hmm. you because they have to. And if you want to build something substantial, your foundation needs to be on something you can control. And you cannot control if people love you. You can control if they fear you.
2: Well, fear sounds pretty... Uh, intimidating, and there have, has to be nuances in fear. You're, you can't go in swinging the sword and, and cursing.
3: So, or can well, you? <laughs> well,
2: what what do you mean by fear? And sh- sh- sure, do you
3: um, titrate it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Fear is punishment. Uh, and kind of in that chapter, I, I, I basically have this formula, <laughs> this high-tech formula that I call the power punishment paradigm. Basically bad behavior requires consequences, bad behavior being if people or entities um, act against your interests. And if, you know, people act against your interests, you have to be able to punish them to make sure they don't do that. And the, I kind of go in that chapter, I go through various mechanisms of punishment. And if you think about it, every powerful institution we have in our society uh, uses punishment. You know, if you offend your boss, you could get fired. You know, mm-hmm. if you offend the government, yeah. you can be put in jail. Yeah. People don't pay their taxes because they're nice guys. They, they, mm-hmm. you know, and gals, they pay their taxes because they don't want to go to jail. So the big idea is that you need, a, you know, a mechanism of enforcement if people behave in a manner that is contrary to your interests and kind of creating okay. a system where that can occur.
2: That makes sense, Jeff. So like to go to another of the commandments, uh, number four which sounds very philosophical, things are precisely as they seem.
3: It's interesting. Dealmaker's Commandment 4 is when I uh, begin to instruct the reader on how to analyze the battlefield. And we're always afraid that the other side is going to lie to us. We're always afraid that we're, we're being tricked. Um, okay. What I argue in Dealmaker's Commandment 4, things are precisely as they seem, is that the greater risk is, is deceiving yourself. Um, than actually being deceived by the other side, because when deceiving the other side, yourself. Yes, that's right. Um, you know, to quote, uh, you know, Paul Simon in the boxer, "All lies and jest. Still, a man he hears what he wants to hear, and he disregards and the, rest. the rest. Ah, yes, um, right. I think there's a very human uh, quality, which is beautiful, but also potentially destructive, of viewing a set of facts and twisting it to become what you want. You Constructing know, the, the big, story.
1: Is really yeah. what you're
3: saying. Yeah, that's right. I mean, basically, when you when you uh, walk in and you see your spouse, uh, you know, in bed with your best friend and they say, it's not what it looks <laughs> like. It's actually exactly what it looks like. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You know, the big idea is you have to basically eliminate anger. You have to eliminate desire. You have to eliminate morality and just kind of look at the facts exactly as they are. And whatever path that takes you down, whether it makes you feel good or bad, it is what it is. Because um, okay. if you can't accurately assess the battlefield as it is, you're going to make poor decisions.
2: So no rose-colored glasses. No hopium. No, no hopium. And no uh, no awfulizing either. That's true.
3: Yeah, data is data. Yeah, that's, that's right.
1: Yeah, so you're you're just exactly seeing it as objectively as you well, can.
3: Well, it, it's interesting. Basically... Through that chapter, what I use is Occam's razor, uh, which right. is the idea that, you know, in, in its simplest terms, the idea is that the simplest explanation is the best explanation. So scientists use Occam's razor to shave away unnecessary variables when they're, you know, uh, using an equation to analyze a phenomenon. Um, Mm -hmm. So what I argue is we have to take Occam's razor and basically use it to shave away all these very human desires, whether it's, you know, lust or wanting or anger or morality. And when you shave it all away, what you're left with is the truth. And when you're looking at the truth, then you can make the best decisions.
1: What I really hear is that you have to... Slow yourself down in some way because so much of deal making, especially when you're faced with a combat situation, emotion is a very natural kind of thing, one way or the other. This is this is an art. It's a discipline of sorts. Well, to get it's, it's there. interesting.
3: It's interesting. I think, Pam, you bring up a great point, which is about timing, um, and I think that's key. Uh, actually, in Deal Makers Commandment Seven, uh, take yes for yes maybe for yes and no for maybe, uh, the whole idea of that chapter is that deal-making is a dance. It's offer, counter, close, offer, counter, close. Mm -hmm. And you can go back and forth a number of times, but the dance steps are always the same. And I kind of go through various mechanisms to increase the tempo when it's in your favor, decrease the tempo, or just stop the dance when that's in your favor. So absolutely, you know, not being impulsive, and kind of taking your time and making sure that if you want to be the conductor, you have to be able to kind of change the tempo. So I think timing as far as the back and forth is, is crucial. So that's a really good point.
1: So in terms of part of that, you have to be able to choose the right opponent, as you've said. And I was fascinated by uh, your commandment five of no pig wrestling. First of all, who's the <laughs>
3: Uh, <laughs> well, I guess, I guess that's, for, that's all perspective, I suppose, uh, you know? I view various opponents as pigs, and I imagine they, they view me the same way. They, they do uh-huh. me the same honor. Um, Dealmaker's Commandment 5 uh, is no pig wrestling.
1: What's um, a pig, I guess? How would you describe a
3: pig? Well, the idea is that never wrestle a pig because you get dirty and the pig enjoys it. Um, so <laughs> okay. the, the idea is that combat is honor. You know, a knight doesn't joust a squire. Uh, You know, a major league baseball team doesn't play a a little league team. You know, the heavyweight champion boxer doesn't fight an unranked opponent. You know, combat is honor, and when you engage in combat with someone or an entity, you are bestowing honor upon them. So Dealmaker's Commandment 5 is all about discovering okay, who is the right opponent? Who is the best opponent? And kind of choosing the right opponent, choosing the right battle. And if you can't, if combat is thrust upon you, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of different tools to shape the battle and to shape the opponent to make a more favorable outcome. I mean, the big idea is that combat as human beings is kind of the most resource intense activity we have. Uh, I mean, look at a real war like a World War Two, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whether it's money and time and lives, fighting takes more resources and always and always is more challenging than you think it's going to be getting into it. So yeah. it's just about if you're going to be an effective dealmaker, if you're going to be an effective capitalist, you have to allocate your resources appropriately. And going into battle is going to take a lot of resources and you need to make sure it's the right fight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's true. And you you have a whole section in there talking about how you come up with choosing the right opponent. We don't have time to go into it today, but it's an yeah, important chapter, it. which takes us to another break. And when we come back, we'll speak more with dealmaker Jeff B. Cohn, Esquire, author of The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, about three questions you can ask to increase your own success as a dealmaker. Stay with us. During this holiday season, Scott and I want to thank you for being part of the Growth Igniters radio community. This has been a tremendous learning experience for us. And we want to hear from you about the value you've been getting from what we've been producing every week since February of this year. Go to growthignitersradio.com and click contact us at the bottom of the page. And who knows, your feedback may end up featured on our website. And along those lines, Who would you like to hear from as a guest in the coming year? We're always on the lookout for more best-selling authors, innovative CEOs of successful companies, and emerging thought leaders to learn from. Again, go to growthignitersradio.com, click contact us at the bottom of the page, and we'll get back to you to follow up. Welcome back to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Over the last two segments, Scott and I have been speaking with Jeff B. Cohn, Esquire, about principles of his book, The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments. Jeff, tell us again, how can people learn more about you and and also buy your book, The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments?
3: Thanks, Pam. Um, well, I would just go to Amazon uh, and look up Dealmaker's Commandments by Jeff Cohen. Uh, so then you can get the book as a hard unit, Kindle or audiobook. book. Uh, we have a website, dealmakerscommandments.com. And I'm available on uh, Twitter as Jeff underscore B underscore Cohen and on LinkedIn and Facebook as Jeff B as in boy Cohen.
1: Okay. And again, you can go over to the episode 49 page and download a special PowerPoint that Jeff has for us to give an overview of all of those 10 commandments, not just the few that we have. Yes, yeah, so it summarizes. Right. So let's get back to our conversation. This is the part of Growth Igniters Radio where we like to take time to come up with actionable advice that our listeners can immediately apply to their own lives and businesses. Today, it makes sense to talk about some of the uh, self-mastery tips that you have in your book. Why is it important to have self-mastery in this way?
3: The way I've broken down the book is is basically there's 10 chapters and each of the chapter has one of the Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, which is kind of like the intellectual foundation of how deals are made, you know, business is done, et cetera. Um, and then within each of those 10 chapters, I have a specific question for self-mastery. The idea being, uh, and I'll use a quote from Steve Jobs, which I love, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. The big idea okay. is that You must have self-examination to really discover what you want, what makes you happy, what you are afraid of, you know, what's holding you back to achieve success. You know, again, as I said previously, I believe that success is life on your own terms, but these questions for self-mastery, I hope allow the reader to discover what those terms are, and then the, Mm -hmm. the commandments themselves, uh, enable the reader to actually go out and and kind of achieve those terms.
1: Let's talk about uh, one of the first questions for self mastery. So what you call it? So what?
3: Sure. Well, Dealmaker's Commandment one, as we discussed, is it's better to be feared than loved, and the question for self mastery is simply so what? <laughs> question mark. And basically, there's this great story that I that I talk about in that section. It's this great quote from Andy Warhol. And Andy Warhol basically discusses that, you know, he was always afraid. It's all about fear. You know, what are you afraid of? You know, what terrifies you? You know, professionally, personally, et cetera. And his solution uh, was to ask the question, you know, basically, so what? So what if that does happen? So what?
1: Am I going to be by bear? So what if that person bear? doesn't love you?
3: <laughs> so what? So what yes. if you lose your job? So what? So mm. it's kind of, you know, being able to say, to kind of look at your greatest fears, uh, you know, in the eye and say, okay, if that happens, so what? And it's a way to, you know, both empower yourself and disempower your foes because you need to know what you're afraid of because your enemies are going to attempt to use your fears against you.
2: So centering and, and becoming very still and quiet yeah, so and I mean, use your you, maximum power.
3: Yeah, if you're able to say, so what? You know, to kind of the ways that your enemies are going to attempt to terrify you, then you've basically taken away their greatest weapon. It, it's challenging because we're wired for fear. I mean, sure. genetically, uh, if you're afraid and you can run away, you know, you'll be able to to ha- to have offspring. Uh, you know, so so yeah. so there's kind of this like evolutionarily, we have this kind of strong impulse, to, you know, to be afraid. But so what is about kind of capturing it and ultimately not letting fear waste your time?
2: Makes makes a tremendous amount of sense, Jeff. And it really kind of dovetails with another of the questions of self mastery which is, do I have a scarcity mentality or an abundance mentality? So how can that be applied in practical terms when you're negotiating a deal?
3: There's this great quote by Theodore Roosevelt, which is simple, but I think it's very important, and goes to the idea of, do I have a scarcity mentality or an abundance mentality? Uh, And the quote is, comparison is the thief of joy and I love that quote, comparison is the thief of joy. Um, Mm -hmm. It's so hard to do something that we're excited about (laughs) and to achieve something that we're proud of. Like, wow, I just, you know, I just made a million dollars. That's fantastic. But the moment you go, but wait a minute, Mark Zuckerberg has (laughs) (laughs) 6,000, has 6,000 of those million dollars that I just made. Suddenly it's
1: not the same. Yes, yes.
3: Precisely. So the idea of of kind of uh, training your mind to have an abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality, I think is really important to kind of maintaining the ability to have joy. The idea being that if you have a scarcity mentality, then anytime your opponent or or a competitor gets something, you automatically have less. Oh, they got that piece of business. So now I don't have that piece of business. So I am, you know, comparatively uh, worse off. But Mm -hmm. if you have an abundance mentality, you take that same piece of information and it becomes empowering. When your opponent, you know, or a competitor, you know, gets a great new client, you go, you know what? There's a lot of action in that space. Uh, I think I'm going to attack that space as well. That's great. They've given me a good piece of information. So So you see the
1: opportunities.
3: Precisely. what you're saying. So it's basically the relationship between your your worldview – joy, and comparison. And if you view that, you know, there's enough for everyone, then it allows you to kind of take a piece of information and put it in a way that's positive and gives you energy instead of something that's dispiriting.
1: Uh, We have uh, one more that we have time for. What do I really want? What do I... I suppose the emphasis is what do I really really want? want.
3: Really. (laughs) And and it seems simple. It seems simple as a question for self-mastery, but I think it's actually... It's it's challenging because I think as people, as social animals, kind of throughout our entire life, we're trained to make everyone else happy. Make your teacher happy, make your parents happy, make your spouse happy, make your boss happy. But ultimately, if you don't know what really makes you happy, if you're not able mm-hmm. to really kind of brush everything aside and say, what do I care about? You're set up for failure. I start that question for self-mastery with a quote that I love by Herbert Baird Swope, which is, I cannot give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure, which is try to please everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, especially as a kid actor, you know, the whole idea was, oh, try to make everyone else happy. And that can only get you so far. Ultimately, you have to discover, okay, what matters to me? What do I care about? You know, how do I want to spend my time? And kind of through answering honestly that question, you're, you're allowed to use your resources in a way to, to achieve those objectives.
1: So actually, the emphasis that we had was a little bit wrong. It's what do I really want? In it some go. ways, <laughs> you think I'll it's take one it. of those one of those uh, kinds of questions that you can ask in a lot of ways, but so important. And we see it all the time. There are people who sure. are afraid to be honest with themselves, uh, afraid to really say this is what I really want, or they say. I don't even know what I really want. So it works in a a variety of ways. Jeff, this has been fabulous. We don't have any more time today, but anything a little bit more you can tell us?
3: Just one tip that I think is probably the most important tip. It's buy my book immediately. You must (laughs) buy the book. the kindle the audiobook, the hard unit maybe all three maybe you need all Uh, three you know what i mean so i would say that's a new year's
1: resolution huh yes
3: precisely (laughs) precisely (laughs) you want to start the year off right by the (laughs) deal makers ten commandments Uh, jeff this has been fun thanks so much thanks thanks so much for having me it was a pleasure
2: yeah thanks jeff and thanks to all of you out there listening to growth igniters radio with pam harper and scott harper To check out resources related to today's conversation, share on social media, find out about upcoming episodes, download the slide deck summarizing the Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, or open a conversation with us, go to growthignidersradio.com and select episode
1: 49. Until next time, this is Pam Harper. And Scott Harper. Wishing you continued success and leaving you with this question to reflect on. What can I do?
2: to prepare myself to be a more effective deal maker in all aspects of my life
0: Growth Igniters and Growth Igniters Radio are service marks of Business Advancement Incorporated All Growth Igniter's radio episodes are copyrighted productions of Business Advancement Incorporated, intended for the private use of our audience. Except as otherwise provided by copyright law, all other uses, including copying, editing, redistribution, and publication without prior written consent of Business Advancement Incorporated, are prohibited. All rights reserved.